You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Did you vote earlier this month? Yes, of okay. course. Well, don't say of course. Okay, yes, I voted. It's not obvious that you would have voted. Well, I'm not wearing the little sticker. You didn't you didn't keep the sticker. <laughs> the sticker. Why do only people who voted for a certain party wear the sticker? I have not observed that. I don't know what you you're haven't? talking about. No. I feel like only Democrats wear that sticker. Are you kidding me? They won't tell I you. I saw a dude with a US Constitution shirt and he's and a he had a sticker clearly. on. Huh? And he and, and and what are you saying about that? I'm saying, saying he's a Republican. I'm saying probably that's a there's some there's some weird things like the Constitution. We know what you we know who you voted for, man. We know, <laughs> right? You voted for the Libertarian. <laughs> no, but I, I went I went early. There were uh, not that many people in line, so I felt I felt lucky. I pulled up at the right time. There was a guy standing too close behind so, me in the line, I, oh, which really? I hate. Mm. So I was trying to create distance. Okay. And mm-hmm. with the person in front of me, and I'd let them get inappropriately in front of me. And then I'd kind of scoot up real quick to got to give this guy a hint. And it didn't work at all. It didn't he, work. He's he was, right on my tail. The maybe whole time. he smelled good. I don't, maybe I did. I don't know. So you know how you're not supposed to look at what other people vote for? Right. I do. What? <laughs> I look. What do you mean? So, um, you know how you go into where they have the polls? Yeah. Um, you have the little screen and it has the little blinders on it and you're yeah. not supposed to look. Right. Always, you peek over the blinders? I always look. Do you do, you do that at the urinals too? <laughs> <laughs> Are you one of those guys? No. <laughs> Just tell you. got this vision of you peeking over. <laughs> dang it. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Um, why would I need to do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to scout out the competition when you're number one. <laughs> <laughs> would you? Get to the point. (laughs) So I look at how people vote because it's boring as heck standing there waiting. My game that I play by myself is I bet I can guess who they voted for. Oh, that's a good game. All right. Yeah. So you judge them. Yeah. You just judge people. Yeah. Judge people. (laughs) Right. Based on what they they look like. They look like without getting to know them. Uh huh. And I go, you know, and I think. How long have you been playing that? My whole life. Learned it from you. (laughs) (laughs) I say, I bet I know how this person voted. All right. And this year I I did lose, unfortunately. Oh, you're a little surprised? I did lose, unfortunately. Now, if I was in Florida, I would have got every single one of them right. Because our next guest is a state representative who ran unopposed in yes. this year's election. You like that? You know what? There? After having talked with her, I realized why she ran unopposed. Yeah, nobody, nobody, had a nobody had a chance against her. Christine Hunchkovsky is a state representative from Florida. She is also or was also the mayor of Parkland, Florida, during the uh, school shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. We all remember that it was and still is one of the most tragic moments in our country's history. Our guest, Christine, was mayor of Parkland and then since then has moved on to become the state representative for District 96 in the Florida House of Representatives. In 2021, she was appointed by Speaker Sprouls to the Commission on Mental Health and Substance Abuse. And in 2022, she was reelected, like I said, 
without opposition because nobody stands a chance to District 95 where she continues to serve and represent her community. We talked about so much. We talked about politics around the Thanksgiving dinner table, removing emotions from decision-making, deciding when to do something and when not to. And most importantly, knowing your purpose, knowing the why behind your decisions. Out of everyone that we've talked to, I would venture to say that Christine has a the most clear understanding of her purpose in this world and her purpose in the various roles that she's played throughout her life. It's fascinating to hear her perspective. It was fascinating to hear how she handled a true tragedy in a position of leadership. Stick around for our conversation. It gets heavy at times, but it is certainly enlightening to hear her wisdom. I'm Sanger Smith, as always, with my dad, Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Christine, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, So here's our one degree of Kevin Bacon moment. Okay. Me and you. Babson College. Yeah, that's where I got my MBA. (laughs) My, uh, my, or Sean's cousin, so my uncle, cousin, I don't know how it works. Um, (laughs) I say he's my, I say he's my uncle. Um, He teaches at Babson College. What is yeah, he teach? So uh, international business, China, uh, political, uh, just political studies and with uh, with political studies with, with, a, with China. Exclusive focus on Chinese politics. Oh, yeah. very so cool. you, yeah, you, it's a narrow focus. It's a very narrow. <laughs> very focus. narrow. Wasn't part of um, my MBA program, but um, <laughs> I I'm yeah, sure it's think. very worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> Did you grow up in Boston? Yeah, so um, born and raised in Boston. I went to Boston Latin School for junior high and high school. Then I went to Boston University, and the way I made the decision to go there is they gave me a full scholarship. So that was the decision. It wasn't about whether I felt like I fit there or whether it was like best for what I wanted to do in life. It was free. Um, well, you know, you can you can make a lot of things fit for free. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I was never um, so lucky that any of my kids got a full, full ride. Well, they they had a good relationship with um, Boston Latin school. So that helped a lot. And um, I was there, I studied, I started with business because I wanted to be very practical. And then we had to take a humanities class and I took philosophy. And after the first class I was hooked. So I ended up double majoring in business and philosophy and it doesn't, maybe sound like those two fit really well together, but they fit amazingly well together. Yeah. And then later I got my MBA at Babson. Where did you go after that? Yeah. Then what happened is I ended up eventually becoming a stay at home mom. I had worked for a cogeneration company um, in their service department. And then when we decided to have children, I wanted to be a stay at home mom if we could afford to. And I was lucky that we could. And then I used my business skills in, Everything you could imagine in the community. We moved down to Florida. Our oldest was two. I was pregnant with our youngest, and I just got involved everywhere. And then I ended up here. What took you down to Florida? My husband's job. My husband's job. Yeah. So we had no family, no friends. Oh, that had to be everywhere tough. you go, you know, you want to make it home, and the best way to do that is to volunteer because everybody loves free help. And yeah. uh, yes. that's how I kind of started this path that kind of ended up where I am today, which is probably a place I. Pretty much never expected I'd be. 
Yeah. So you, you start getting involved in the community and then at some point you feel like, Hey, I, I'm going to take a, what a formal role in, in being involved in the community. How did that, does, how did you come to that decision to run for public office? It did not come naturally. It came with a lot of other people telling me I should. So I got involved at school. I got involved in the community. I coached little league. I coached soccer. Um, I was on our homeowners association board. I was on our church board. I was involved in our PTAs and everywhere I was, you know, I was in touch with people in the community. I'd also gone to the commission meetings regularly, wrote about the commission meetings for a local magazine as a way to just pique my, pique my interest. I was said, Oh, would you like to, you know, tell us about the commission meetings? I'm like, sure. And Never been to a city hall before, had to learn all that. Then I served on the planning education advisory board. And um, eventually when a seat opened up, someone said, Christine, like no one has nearly as much experience or knowledge as you do. Why don't you run? And never having had that in my sights was kind of frightening and interesting all at the same time. I always say if I were in the theater, I would be the director. I would never be the leading lady. Um, and so putting yourself on the ballot is very frightening. It's it's, it's um, vulnerable. Very vulnerable. I don't know. It, it was scary. I remember when I put my papers in to file the papers and I turned to my husband that night and I said, oh my goodness, what did I just do to myself? Yeah. And it, it's also an interesting experience because I think as a parent, you already learn. So kids teach you a lot. Um, our kids were teenagers at the time, so I didn't do it when they were younger, which I, I'm glad about because um, it's gotten a lot rougher now in the political world. But kids kind of teach you. They're kind of a mirror and they show you the things you're wonderful R- at. Rougher. Sh- yeah, rougher in like the, the intensity of it. Um, rougher in the, the way people speak to you and um, the way people yeah. speak about you. I protected our and my whole family quite a bit from all of that. I uh, campaigned uh, with volunteers, tried to keep my family away from it as much as possible so that they would not be affected by it. It's hard to believe that, and not that mayor is a low profile position, but it's hard to believe that people get violent or vitriolic about yeah the mayoral right, seat. Right, because it's as local as you get. You're going to know these people. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might right. see you one I'm day. I'm going to see you at the store. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's also very interesting. So when I started out in 2013, I originally ran for city commission seat. Now, 2013, it wasn't, I mean, people didn't vote for you who you had known forever. And, you know, yeah. that hurts your feelings, of course, because... You're like, but, but you know me and you don't think I'm worthy of your vote. So that, Oh, geez. Wait, and they tell you that? Well, you can kind of tell when they're wearing your opponent's t-shirts. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, but that's ow. not, I mean, listen, that that's what it is. Um, yeah, in yeah. 2016, when I ran for mayor, things started to change a little bit. It all of a sudden, it, it was a nonpartisan race and all of a sudden it became partisan. And people were trying to make it partisan. And I refused to be partisan. Uh, I said, how, how any, did it- well, I, I talked to people about, you know, ask me questions about anything that I could do as in the position of mayor, like anything I can vote on, anything that I can actually have a say on. And I will talk to you about all those things and all the things that I have no control over, no say over. Yeah. 
I'm not talking about it because that's not, you're not hiring me for those things. You're hiring me yeah. for these things and all those things you should 100% ask me everything and hold me accountable to that. But what's your take on federal marginal tax rates? Go. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about Ukraine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we had uh, the mayor of Fort Worth on uh, some time back and I made the comment to her that I had a friend of mine who had posted something on, on social media uh, that he was frustrated that she had not come out and declared herself either Republican nor Democrat. And I made the comment, like, how about just you know, listening to what this person's saying and yeah. seeing if you agree with those positions and, on the local issues. And she's not allowed to. Right. It's a nonpartisan race. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And listen, it, that's, this has all changed. So like 2013 was very little about that. 2016, it started to change, but hadn't really changed. When I noticed the biggest change was um, after our shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018, everything became political. I'm always fascinated by that because now I am in a partisan role. I'm a state representative. I'm a registered Democrat. But if someone were to ask me to write a book about my life, about who I am, my partisan affiliation wouldn't probably make it into it because it is no, it doesn't define who I am. Uh, where I grew up defines uh, who I am, who my, how my parents raised me defines who I am. A lot of other things in my life, my experience as a wife, as a mother, those are so much more who I am than whether I checked off a Democrat. Yeah. Or a are you team blue or team red? Yeah. The elephant team or the donkey team? Which one are you? And, I'm team, and let's fix some problems. Let's find some solutions and let's yeah. keep it moving. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be a hard position to be a politician and try to be nonpartisan because you inherently, once you're in a partisan position, I mean, you're, it's going to be hard to get elected and say I'm an independent. And I would imagine being right. a, a down ballot candidate is going to be even harder because some people are going to, you know, I mean, they're not going to even bother to look at the, the policy positions of their heck, even their senators. <laughs> like, right. there, there's some people that well, go, I'm voting for president and then just everybody else down. And it's unfortunate because there's been kind of a dehumanization of elected officials. And I, I don't know if they were maybe... Maybe they weren't as humanized before as I thought they were, but it, you know, giving people, making people out to be caricatures of actual people. And then you don't have to ask who they are or learn anything about them or even engage them in an actual human conversation because you're just attacking a caricature. Yeah. Um, and it's so much easier when you dehumanize people to then attack them and forget that they are someone's mother, they are someone's daughter, mm -hmm. they are someone's neighbor. So when I talk a lot on my policy things, I talk about the human side of it. I mean, policy is personal. Policy affects real people in the real world, their real lives. And dealing in hyperbole or caricatures is not what we were elected to do. We were elected to pass good policy that will help people and that will make our communities stronger. And um, it's, 
it's work. It takes discipline to um, stay that path. Well, I think there's a lot of tribalism now where people will, will sort of group ideas into uh, into teams, you know, and so I, I want you to believe everything that our team believes. And if you don't believe everything, you know, all nine of these things that we believe, then you're out, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to get isolated. So you have to, you know, toe the line with our team. I want to back up a little bit and talk about sure. the decision making that you went through when you decided to run for mayor. You were mayor during a real critical time in, in the city. And, and when you made that decision to run for mayor, was that were you getting suggestions from people around you or did that initiate from within? Or It did not um, initiate from within. In fact, we had a mayor who was going to be running for another seat in um, another elected office. And originally I was not going to run. Uh, again, going back to if I were in the theater, I would not want to be the leading lady. I would prefer to mm-hmm. be the director. So um, being the face of the city not necessarily what I was looking for, but certain things happened. I had discussions with people and I was encouraged by a lot of people. And so I decided to run. I decided to run because I thought I could do the job that needed to be done at the time, probably more so than some of the other people. So it sounds incredibly arrogant to say something like that, But I had been at every commission meeting or watched every commission meeting at that time for about 13 years. I had been involved in. God, that is a commitment. Yeah, I didn't. So it wasn't like I went on Twitter, became famous and then decided to run for office. Like (laughs) I just wanted to be a member of the community. I wanted to contribute to the community that I lived in. I wanted to contribute to the community that I raised, that we raised our kids in, that my, my, where my family lived. And it kind of just ended up that this is the path that I ended up on. Obviously, it wasn't planned because it's not really a good plan to have a 13-year plan. Uh, but that's how yeah. life goes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, it's interesting. I, I found that the politicians who I in, inherently feel the most comfortable with or, or trust the most are rarely the ones that weren't already weren't encouraged by other people, right? Like you're saying, Hey, I I didn't really think I was going to be married. And people told me you should do it. And Oh, okay. All right, fine. I guess I'll give it a shot. Those are the, those are the people that I want. I want people who get encouraged by their community, not people who are just sitting around going, you know, it'd be fun being governor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People who are dragged into it, not people who are, who push themselves into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, And the, it's a shame that the division um, and the way that we attack politicians, in, like they're not members of our own community, I think drives out people who could otherwise get talked into it. You know, I, I agree with that. There are a lot I hear all the time from people. I don't know how you do what you do. And honestly, the environment now is very different than it was back in 2013. And I don't know if I were just starting out now, if I would make the choice to run. Um, now I'm already here, so I'm kind of used to navigating it, but it's very difficult when you see, especially a lot of female elected officials, the vitriol that they deal with, the abuse at times that they deal with, the threats that they deal with. I'm friends with mayor, female mayors from around the country, and some of the stories are really scary. Um, 
which is unfortunate um, and not very democratic. You yeah. know, I, I remember we, we'd even have in a, the city commission meetings, well, that's going to raise our taxes and that's going to do, I said, hello, you know, I live here too. Um, I don't know if you think I want to do bad things to where I live, <laughs> but I think sometimes people forget that and say, you know, listen, everything we're doing, it also affects, you know, the community I live in, my neighborhood. We so, would be we would be so much better off if we adopted Hanlon's razor. Never attribute <laughs> malice when incompetence would suffice, right? It, it's it's possible that this city official, this mayor, this this representative, this governor, this president, it's possible they're just wrong, you know, yeah. or they're just not good at what they're doing. They might yeah. be, and 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 you know what? I also might be wrong in my assessment of whether they are incorrect. <laughs> that right. is also possible. That's more likely. But it, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a it's not helpful to say, well, geez, Christine, you know, she's a she's a Soros plant. She's you know <laughs> she's here to drive a, a this town into the you know, hell in handbasket or whatever. It's even worse when you've never actually had a conversation with the person. Yes. So I don't know how many times I would see people who I knew personally on social media saying these things that weren't true. And when I'd see them in real life or I'd call them, I'd be like, so I hear you have a question about this. Let me take you through that process. And let me also take you through the law that we're bound by that we have to follow. So how and, do people react when you do that? When you when um, you say, I want to talk to you like a person, like a real human. Very differently than they do when they're on social media. I bet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think it's important to have those conversations because sometimes people look at it and say, well, the answer's so simple. And it is if you don't take into account the laws the law. you have to yeah. follow. Um, and the fact right. that you don't have full control over land use, you know, we yeah. live in a, you know, I, as I explained to the third graders, you know, we have the laws in the city of Parkland and the city of Parkland has to follow the laws in the city of Parkland. They also have to follow the laws in Broward County, the county we live in. They also have to follow the laws in the state of Florida because we're also in the state of Florida. And we have to follow the laws of the United States because we're also in the United States of America. So it's not like the city commission makes all the laws and doesn't have to look at any of the other laws that are being made by the county, the state, or the federal yeah. government. It's a yeah. time to educate. And I think a lot of what um, elected officials do, I think there is a lot of education part of the work we do. I think that COVID has unintentionally made it a little bit easier for us to dehumanize each other not because of necessarily policy disagreements, but because so many people spent a long extended period of time not interacting with other members of their own community. You know, we stayed within our own families. Well, our families are more likely to agree with us than than anybody, at least nuclear families. Uh, Unless you have teenagers. Yeah, yeah, okay, uh, (laughs) fair enough. But you know what, like, we, there's, everyone kind of talks about, oh, the Thanksgiving dinner, the talk about politics. I really like Thanksgiving dinner because I get to talk. I, I, we don't, I don't necessarily talk about politics with my family at Thanksgiving dinner, but I know what they believe politically. And a a lot of my family at Thanksgiving believes differently than me, very differently. And it's such a good reminder, like, Oh, there are people 
that believe this point of view that maybe I don't interact with daily, but now I get, I love this person. You know, I love my cousin. I love my, you know, I love my, my brother. I love my aunt. I love these people. I want to, I, I'm not, it's harder now to demonize that point of view that I disagree with because I can see someone that I know who believes that. And I'm, I wouldn't go out and say they're just stupid, evil, awful person. So why would I feel that way about a politician that has the same belief? And, and so we spent so long not interacting with each other, not having those Thanksgiving dinners, not having um, that interaction with our community that I think it's a lot easier now. Now that doesn't explain the division between, you know, your pre 2020. Um, but I'm afraid that it does now. It takes time to understand why someone believes what they believe. We all have had different experiences in life that give us a lens that we look through when we look at situations. So you can have two people look at a, the exact same situation, but because of where they grew up, how they grew up, life experiences, traumatic experiences that they may have had, they might yeah. come, they might see different things in the same event. And I think it, taking time to kind of understand why someone thinks a certain way to learn a little bit more about their journey really makes it, number one, easier to find common ground and also to understand that if we really believe that everyone has value, um, we have to take the time to learn about them. Yeah. The more, I think the more we can get that back in local politics specifically, uh, the better chance we have for building communities and societies that are moving towards a better future for everyone involved, because I can affect that local pol political issue a lot easier than I can, you know, what whatever the heck the Department of Labor is doing this month. Talking about political division, sadly, I I would imagine that in your community post the shooting was really politically divided based on the opinions on gun control. What was that? What was that moment like when that happened and you were the mayor? Yeah, I mean, I remember the day vividly. I remember getting the phone call that there were reports of an active shooter. I remember going over to the intersection because it's right around the corner from where I live of the school. And I remember hearing, you know, two were killed, seven. And then once we went beyond seven, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, we're one of those communities now. And when I mean one of those communities, I was thinking Sandy Hook, yeah, uh, Newtown. I was thinking Columbine. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of almost frozen for a moment as to now what what does this mean for us and what does this mean going forward? And then I kind of put that on hold and just decided that it was important to be the elected official that I would like to have. So I stayed on that corner. I um, gave people as much information as I had, lots of hugs, uh, lots of tears, and just wanted to be there for the community. I 
had also thought at that time that we so often talk about the killer. Yeah. And I didn't want to talk about the killer or the act itself. I wanted to talk in those first 12, 24, 48 hours about our community and how special our community is, how strong our community is, so that my friends, my neighbors, residents of Parkland would know that we would pull through this somehow, just by virtue of us being who we are, the type of community that, you know, steps up for each other, and which we do. The political stuff, that really started happening three to five days afterwards. But I was incredibly fortunate that, so our shooting happened on a Wednesday afternoon and on a Friday morning at like 4.30 in the morning, I was doing an scheduled to do an interview. And while I was waiting to do the interview, uh, Nicole Hockley, whose son Dylan was killed at Sandy Hook, was there. And I remember talking to her, crying to her at one point about not being sure how we move forward from this or how we get through this. And I had a lot of questions for her. I expressed some of my concerns to her. And she kind of assured me that I was thinking about all the right things. And she said to me to always remember why you are here. And that was something that has stayed with me pretty much ever since. In fact, I was just at a Veterans Day ceremony today and was talking to somebody about, you know, the idea of knowing your purpose. What is the role? What is like literally, what is your job? And my job, in my opinion, was to protect my community, to be there for my community, to make sure the community had the resources they needed in the aftermath. And to, she had also, Nicole had also warned me about all the divisions that happen in the aftermath of a mass shooting. So in the first couple of days, everybody's kumbaya comes together and helps one another. And then divisions happen everywhere. There are cracks everywhere. It's, and it can be very overwhelming. It can be very easy to get caught up in all those cracks. And I felt that my job was to try and keep us together as much as possible so that we didn't fall apart. And you know, there were state representatives and state senators who could deal with the gun issues and the school issues. Um, we, uh, we, on a local level, we didn't control the schools. We had no right um, to le- legislate anything regarding firearms. So the only role I really felt I had was to keep the community together. Didn't mean I didn't advocate for yeah. uh, school safety, mental health, and all that. But the number one job, I just showed up for the community. That must have been challenging because my guess is that there were a lot of people trying to pull you back to the event as you're trying to move forward and look at providing resources, providing support, you know, and unifying the community. I imagine there were there was a lot of energy around uh, around that event, the shooter, and that that was probably, from your perspective, not helpful to do. 
Yeah, no, um, I did interviews until the interviews were all about trying to blame someone, um, which wasn't to my community's benefit. They were, there was a group investigating it. I, I wasn't part of that investigation. So I stopped doing interviews. It wasn't my place to be doing that. It didn't mean I wasn't following all of it. We had uh, different advocacy groups that wanted to pull me in to their side of an issue. That was an issue that I didn't have the power to legislate over. And Mm. I mean, I had to be able to meet with anyone and everyone, no matter what their political affiliation or what their position was on any issue in order to get the help our community needed. Do you feel like maybe they were trying to be opportunist and use your position for you know, their, their political purpose? Or? I believe there was, I don't, I don't think everyone, the instincts were nefarious. No, I'm, I'm not saying the instincts were nefarious, yeah. but, but that would be the outcome, right? Yeah, that would be the outcome. And I felt incredibly protective over our community that I didn't want our community to be used for yeah. some new mental health machine or, I was um, a very protective, almost like a mama bear. And I did not allow myself, especially that first year, to get distracted. Now, mind you, I did go to Tallahassee to advocate for the passing of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act because there were mental health dollars in there that we absolutely needed. There were security dollars in there that we absolutely needed. Um, I went up to the White House to meet with President Trump. There was JAG funding that we needed to pay for the police response. So I, there was no one I wouldn't meet with or talk to in order to help our community. But I had to make sure I didn't get dragged into a circus that wasn't going to benefit our residents. And man, how lucky that community is to have someone with that perspective. Um, to me, it seems like the absolutely correct perspective to have to say, except, I've got to. Except when people are on one side or the other of an issue and you are not joining either side. Oh, of course. Yeah. Now, so that maddens. And I. Yeah. People I want received, you on their team. Yeah. I received that vitriol. Um, I was accused many times of being a coward. When Jeez. I feel like it would have been much easier to pick a side and would have been ride, a lot the, easier. Divi- and ride yeah. the division wave into whatever. And well, then, then all you're doing is dividing the, the community that you're trying to unite. Correct. Yeah. And, Correct. and make the, you make the whole thing worse. You know, most people, I, I think a lot of times when people are getting the leadership that they need, um, they're, they're not always thrilled about it. <laughs> you know, people say rarely, people are rarely thrilled about it, but it was yeah. also a very traumatized community. I mean, I myself of had course. to go to trauma therapy. Um, these were not many of these families I knew beforehand. I knew their loved ones. Um, many of the children and students who were coming out that day and teachers who were coming out from the school that day were people I had known for years. This was very personal to me. And I felt very protective 
of my community. And a lot, a lot of the people were very traumatized, didn't realize they were traumatized. And after something like this happens, where all of a sudden you realize maybe you're not as safe as you thought you were in this world. Maybe you don't control as much as you think you control. I mean, your whole world is upside down now because things like this aren't supposed to happen. And now part of that trauma, there's anger and that anger has to go somewhere. And when you're a local elected official, you're kind of on the front lines of that. You're going to catch the brunt, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, and I logically understood that at times, but I had to also work through a lot of that. Yeah, it, I would imagine it would be natural in a point of high emotion to, to seek out someone to blame. You know, there, there's always, there, you, we've got to have a scapegoat. I mean, heck, when we have hurricane season in Florida, uh, people want to blame <laughs> something or someone. Yeah. And, and it, it's like, it, I don't even know that it matters whether or not you're casting the blame accurately. Right. Um, no, it doesn't because people are hurt and yeah. hurt people hurt people. I mean, I had one, this is kind of a funny story. I had one resident who would call me every day and yell at me on the phone. Somebody I'd never met before. He would just call me every day and yell at me. Um, we're friends now. <laughs> How so in it, the world did that happen? What types of things is somebody calling you and yelling at you about? They, they didn't feel there was enough safety at the school that, you know, somebody wasn't doing this and why isn't the school district doing that? And, you know, there were a lot of actors. There were a lot of failures that happened. Listen, I was the one that picked up the phone. And that's one thing I think um, when tragedy happens and when you're in crisis, the best thing you do as an elected official is you show up. And you show up when people want to praise you and you show up when people are very traumatized and they need somebody to yell at. And I think what changed for several people was that I still picked up the phone. I still showed up. And I think with some people that made a difference. Was this a person that was personally affected by the, by the um, shooting? They, they, they were friends there? with the families, yeah. uh, with some yeah. of the families who lost. Love. So how did you handle that? And somebody, because some of the things that they were probably bringing up were, I would think obvious, gee, we didn't have enough security or gee, this person shouldn't have been allowed back in the school, whatever they were complaining about. Did you just have to sort of listen and take in that information? I mean, it's not a lot you can do about it retroactively. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and to be fair in the beginning, we were given a lot of wrong information about things that had happened, um, in the very beginning. And um, as time went on, we have that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission. And what they do is um, they've done an investigation. I followed all of those meetings. And in the beginning, a a lot of it was just listening and then also letting people know who the right people were to go to. I like to, in my role, even now, empower people by letting them know this is the best way to address it. This is the, these are the people you should go to, to address it. I mean, I showed up i can't even imagine how many meetings it was after the shooting on how do we fix things going forward how do we advocate for things going forward but i was very careful to never point fingers because as long as people were still in their positions 
I needed them to work with us. Mm -hmm. How did you turn this person who was coming at you, probably expressing a lot of emotion uh, at you and you became the the target of that because you picked up the phone, as you said, how do you convert that person into an ally or friend? I find that's really difficult for me, maybe because I'm just petty and small and vengeful, but uh, I I have a hard time converting people who come at me hard. You get a one and done with Sean. Yeah, I'll cut you (laughs) off quick, you know, and then I'm done. Sean is infamous for his no second chances. There wasn't maliciousness behind it. I mean, the... Our community was in a lot of pain Um, and people were scared. It could have been their kid. And as a mother, like I totally get that. Nothing that this person was saying was meant against me. I just happened to be in the position where it was easy to kind of lash out. But I mean, I think that's another thing, you know, kind of bringing your humanity into these moments. Bringing your humanity in kind of leaves you vulnerable uh, to being hurt, but it also gives you an understanding that sometimes can be helpful in navigating. I think one of the one of the reasons that the the Parkland tragedy stands out so much, not only because of the horrific nature of it, but because of the activism afterwards from the students, what, how did that impact your role as mayor? How did that, you know, the years long and even still to this day activism that they're doing, um, what was your role in that? I I didn't have a role in that. Um, This was the students. Uh, It's never ceases to amaze me. uh, The stories that I hear in the aftermath, but I remember seeing them, you know, talking on the cameras that afternoon or the next morning, that evening or the next morning. And they came together and they put a plan together. Now, they ended up having help in executing that. But the idea that they didn't want this to happen anywhere again and that they wanted to be the voice of that that happened completely organically, which I think is what made it so special. Um, in Newtown, the students were too young. Yeah, yeah. At Columbine, this was like the first big one. But by the time it happened in our city, it had happened in a lot of places. And these were six, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. One of them had actually interviewed me for the school TV station on, I think it was on roads or something like that, just like a month and a half beforehand. So they had skill sets. Some of them were in theater, so they had public speaking skill sets. It was actually kind of amazing. It was amazing to see whether you agree with their stance or not. And I always say that to people. It's pretty remarkable what they did. One of the things that I've noticed when there there are tragedies like that is there is many times a rush to decision making, rush to solution. In other words, mm-hmm. and you see it a lot is that whether it's from an advocacy group or politicians to say, 
um, we immediately, here's the solution. This is what we're going to do now. Or this event highlights the need for X. And there, it seems like there is a, a large rush to decisions. Yeah, obviously we have to do this. And now you can see the reason why. So why right. are you not, why are we not doing this right well, now? And, and I've seen yeah. even cases where some people are advocating that we must do something. Anything. Which, which it, it, just do something, which is... Well, we, okay. So we experienced that as advisors. Um, I got advice from a successful advisor when I was younger and, um, it's not advice that I necessarily have adopted, (laughs) but he said, when the markets are bad, you just got to do something. Just, it doesn't matter if it makes a a damn difference at all. You got to do something. Just buy and buy and sell. sell Just buy and sell all the way down. And it doesn't matter because people want you to be doing something. And the problem with that (laughs) is that that's not always the best move for a lot of reasons, for tax reasons, investment strategy reasons, whatever. Um, Same thing with public policy reactions to current events. Well, you know what? Sometimes we can't, Uh, whether, you know, regardless of what you believe about gun rights or school shootings as a specific issue. Um, sometimes that's not the right answer. Regardless, people want, want some you to do action. something. Yeah. Absolutely. Something. And, yeah. Absolutely. and that's, that's why people were frustrated with you. Like, well, well don't you obviously see we have to do something? Don't you obviously right. see that? It was you just as not mayor, care. Yeah. when you don't yeah. control the schools, they're not under, you know, it's a countywide school system mm-hmm. and you don't control the laws state does that. All I could do is gather as much information as possible, listen to as much as what people were experiencing, and then go advocate. Advocating to the school district, advocating up in Tallahassee. Actually, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act was a reaction to the shooting. And it has stood the test of time, actually, with and it did it because it needed bipartisan support. Yeah. So I think if just one group could have done whatever they wanted to do, it might not have been mm-hmm. as successful as it was when people, number one, had to do something because government mm-hmm. does work slowly, but they had to do something together. So there were things in that bill. There was something in that bill that everybody didn't like. And there was something in that bill that everybody did like. And the red flag laws, the additional mental health funding, the additional funding for school safety, it pretty much stood the test of time. And so what do you, do you I mean think that it is it good is... to do something, but I also yeah. think it's good to have different perspectives at the table. Yeah. Sometimes to we've sure got to. It's not just a knee jerk. Absolutely. We've right. got to take a breather and say, okay, I'm. I may never be able to fully remove my emotions from this issue. I've got to give myself a chance to do that to the best of my ability. The problem was, so February 14th is when the shooting happened. I don't know if it was like March 12th or something. I mean, session wasn't on um, going on much longer. Mm. So if they didn't do something, then nothing was going to happen. And, and that yeah. is another thing that happens. So on the one hand, you don't want to overreact. Yeah. But on the other hand, you have to take the energy of the moment because that, first of all, you don't want that moment to happen again. 
And if you don't take that energy at that moment, um, you might never get anything done. So it's finding that balance. Did you find that any of your positions changed before or after the event? Uh, did you did you think about anything differently before or after the event that you that you noticed, or was it consistent across? I don't think I did. I think okay. what I learned in the aftermath is uh, the impact of trauma that I had never realized prior. So trauma is very interesting. Uh, Everyone has had some traumatic event in their life. And if they did or did not process through that, that affects how they react to another traumatic event. So it's like you have a trauma capsule every one of us of all the traumatic events we've had and whether we process through them or not so that all of us can experience the same mass event like the shooting, but it will affect each one of us individually. And when you have kind of a group that say, well, why is this one handling it this way? They should be handling it that way. A lot of the role I played in the aftermath was, you know, some people are going to protest Some people are going to stay home. Some people are going to, you know, we're all going to have our different way of processing through this. And all those ways, as long as they're not hurting someone else, are okay. Yeah. So I think I learned a lot from that very, very quickly. So earlier you mentioned you met Trump. In any other presidency, it might be an obvious decision to go visit the White House. I'm not asking about your necessarily your political beliefs or opinion of him. Did anybody react negatively to the fact that you even met with him? So it was interesting when I got the invitation, the question did come up whether or not I should go. And for me, the answer was I would meet with anybody who makes decisions. That's it. That's it. Seems like an obvious answer. It's literally (laughs) that simple. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, your, your visit wasn't ceremonial. You were there to advocate for decision-making with people who had the power to make the decisions. So, Well, I, that's originally why I thought I was going. And then yeah. all of a sudden I realized when I got there, it was a full court press and we were going to be on live television, which I was not oh, aware wow. of. And pr- it was probably good I wasn't aware of that because had I been aware of that, I don't know that I would have chosen to go. But I just talked in that time about the people who were affected by this. And then I was able to stay and have another meeting at a round table. And at that point, Attorney General Jeff Sessions was there. And I used that opportunity to let him know that, you know, it was a large uh, law enforcement response that was needed and funding would be needed um, to help with that. That wasn't something budgeted for. And then the JAG funding came through the state um, to help pay for that. So if you're not in the room where the decisions are being made, you're not going to be able to influence the decisions. So whether I agree with somebody politically or not, if they are able to help. They might be the worst person in the world. They, they might be awful, right? Uh, I would, I would but hope they, they they're can... not the worst person in the world. <laughs> I, I would but hope when, too. But, but when you're elected But they're to making office, choices, yeah. When you're they, elected they to the office, you're hired to do a job. 
Yeah. I was hired um, by the residents to do a job and that job was to look out for them. Yeah. I, 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 always thought that was a, a silly thing to criticize people for. If you want to, if you want to view this party or that party negatively, if you want to view this politician or this president negatively, that's fine. You criticize them all you want. Um, it's not helpful to say, I'm not going to meet with the people that make the choices. No, that it's not helpful to say I'm it's gonna, counterproductive. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, you have no chance of furthering your own objectives. I, I really enjoyed hearing your perspective. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Did yeah. we talk about decision making at all? <laughs> I, think he, I, I, uh, I, 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 I learned a lot about this. I got a lot. It, it's, it's one of the things that's interesting about how we've decided to, to format what we're doing on this podcast is that originally we thought we, you know, that there was only a few different frameworks for decision making. We would ask people, you know, what framework they use. And we found out that that wasn't true. And, and that the best way to get better at decision making is to focus on it and really distill the wisdom that, that you can share from your experiences and, you know, extract that and be able to say, here's what I'm learning to get better at decision making. And I think you shared a lot about, about listening, about removing emotion, about understanding your your greater purpose and not getting pulled yeah. into negative uh, whirlpools about that. Uh, all of those things are fantastic decision making tools that I think yeah. you shared. And, 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 and the purpose, the purpose for me, that's the core of it. Hopefully not losing your hum- humanity in the process. So I cried many meetings that I had with elected officials and families and community members in the aftermath. I was never um, afraid to be a human being in the process, but I was always very singularly focused on what my job was. And, and I think that's even when people are making decisions to change jobs, when people are making life decisions, you know, what's your goal? And then no matter what the decision is, if it pans out or it doesn't pan out, you always know why you made that decision. And just having some clarity on that means it was the right decision. And if you make a decision and it doesn't pan out the way you think, um, listening and learning allow you to change course. Yeah. Hearing your perspective, I think, will be really helpful for people um, to know what it looks like and it sounds like to make decisions with a clear North Star with a clear vision um, that that can help us cut through so much of the, the gray area. Say, you know what? I know what I'm guided by. I don't necessarily know immediately right now what the best course of action is, but I bet if I keep my eyes focused on what I'm aiming at, I can find it along the way. Yeah. And, and, so and if you have the purpose and then you yeah. actually show up and you listen, you do it. You're doing off track. Yeah. (laughs) You can't mess up too bad. I mean, I love what you just said too. Um, you said knowing why you made the decision, like the amount of important decisions that people make. And I see it all the time with money. People make very important, very long lasting choices. And they're not quite sure why they made the choice. Like if I ask them, I go, so why'd you do that? Well, I'll get a reactive answer. 
you know, I'll get an answer. Nobody goes, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, why'd you buy that house? Uh, I don't know. You know, everyone knows, but they don't really actually know the reason. They think they know the reason, right. you know. Um, and I think you had a lot of opportunities to do that, to to react emotionally or, you know, guided by maybe a personal value that's not necessarily in alignment with the values necessary to do the job or whatever. You had a, a, so many opportunities to really step in it and say, oh, I'm going to do this. And you said, you know, I'm, I need to know how and I need to know why I'm making the decision before I know what decision to make. And if we can, if people can do that, if we can all do better at that, if I can do better at that, um, we're going to make better choices. Absolutely. Thanks. Where can people find the work that you're doing in Florida? I'm on social media. <laughs> I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you'll see yeah. more or less of what I'm doing. We will include all of that in the uh, in the show notes so people can follow you and support you. Thank you. I appreciate Little it. Deal. Christine, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I had a takeaway from our discussion with Christine, and it really was that immediately following the shooting and that tragedy, she made a conscious decision what she was going to focus on and, and what she was not going to focus on. I thought that was interesting that she made a conscious decision not to focus on certain things like the, the shooter and the, the event itself and who was at fault, but what to focus on, how to move forward, how to protect and provide for resources for the community and the people we're hurting. So that was an interesting decision. She does a great job at making great decisions, but understanding her why. She she really understands her purpose in the roles that she's in. And um, I, I found that refreshing. That's one of the things that we've observed a lot in people that come on our show and have experience making great choices. So I... I I was in awe of how every decision that we talked about, every major choice, whether it was to visit the White House, whether it was to react after the events themselves, whether it was how and when to advocate for certain solutions for her community, she was guided exclusively by her purpose. And we can all learn something from that. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.